Alma Howard. Mary Blair. Alice Davis. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Disney 8. We're excited to be joining you on May the 2nd, 2018. I'm joined by my very good buddy, my uh, my bald friend. <laughs> You're looking like you got some some sun this week. You got a little, little, uh, little tan on that dome. Jason, what's up, buddy? How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I, I do have a tan going, and let me tell you what, it feels amazing. You have that after Disney glow about you. <laughs> I, I love I it. I, I it's do. just... You do. You look like you just got off the the Tragical Express and and uh, and walked out of Disney, and it's it's good to see it. I know you've been surrounded by the, the elements all all winter, and now you're looking happy, looking tan, looking looking like you're ready for summer. Looking, you got the, you have that beach look go about you, I, ready I, ready to roll. I do, and I am yes. Well, you know, we've talked about this uh, this show multiple times on our other shows, and you know, with the previous three episodes. And the last episode we did, I really enjoyed, you know, taking a look at Alice Davis and the impact she had on Walt and on the Disney company. And uh, it's amazing whenever you find a strong-willed woman like that that knows what she wants and goes after it her entire life. And some really funny stories about that woman and how she uh, she took charge of the Disney company. I mean, really, really an impressive lady. When I was down at Disney World, I, I got to appreciate, like, the small world, right? A little bit more, mm-hmm. you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. and and the Pirates of the Caribbean, just um, you know, maybe not those uniforms uh, or outfits per se, but but to to have her hands on on so much stuff, um, it, it's incredible. It's incredible to take this series in and then actually go to the parks and appreciate it for what it is, you know. Yeah, I mean, she's. You have to think back of her and Mark and the way they came together. And if you haven't listened to that show yet, it's episode three. It's the previous episode of the Disney Eight. And how they came together and how Walt, you know, recognized her genius instantly the second he met her and brought her on board for multiple, you know, projects and things like that. And I mean, look at look at how she got started with Mark Needon, uh, Disney coming to Mark uh, Davis and saying, I need a dress for Sleeping Beauty for Briar Rose so the animators can see the way she moves. And uh, Mark, without a second, you know, thinking of anyone else, he thinks I have someone and that's that's her start in the Disney Disney Corporation, and of course it goes on for an entire lifetime. And she is inducted as a Disney legend. And I really enjoyed that episode. I enjoyed episode two with PL Travers. It's just it seems just every week we find another fantastic 
Disney woman that has not only changed social status of women in that time period and has really fought for women's rights and, and all, even if they didn't mean to do that, they did. They pushed, they pushed the, the boundary with innovation and experience and knowledge. And it's just an amazing group of women that we have had the absolute pleasure of looking at so far this, uh, this season. Yeah, absolutely. I go back to the word role models, Justin. They were great role models for not even women, just little girls. I mean, they're great role models for males because I think it's important that as we as we you know evolve as a country and as we grow, that uh, there is no gender barrier. That that women are equally amazing in anything. You know what I mean? No, I completely agree, Jason. I think that. These these women are. If you haven't had a chance to learn about them, then they they deserve that time because they you know to learn about their lives and the impact they have. Because you're like you said, Jason. It's not this. Listen, we we talking about the great Disney women mm-hmm. on on this season, but these are just great Disney people. people. I mean, Absolutely. they they literally were as impactful on the Disney company as any man that ever walked through the office doors of Walt Disney. And so I'm excited to get into this week's show and to get into who we're talking about this week. And what, I, Jason, take me on a journey back in time and let's get into this week's episode. Well, actually, this story starts in 1877 and a small reconnaissance of Army scouts were sent up to the Mule Mountains and they were looking for Apaches. Renegade Apaches were uh, a nuisance, and I say that loosely, for the U.S. Army and for the, the people in the territories, Okay. And so we would, it was very common for us to send our army guys to, you know, uh, to search them out. All right. But on this particular journey on their way up to the Mule Mountains, they had a civilian tracker with them and his name was Jack Dunn. And I don't know about finding any Apaches, but I do know that he found signs of minerals. All right. With lead, copper, maybe even silver. And mining rights were first staked in this area and it would become the city of Bisbee, Arizona. Now Bisbee, Arizona, the queen of the Comper Camps, is the home and birthplace of Hazel Gilman. Now Hazel Gilman was born February 21st, 1904. Her parents were Merton Gilman and he was a copper miner for that area and his her mom was Coral Schinkel. Now, she was the eldest of three children. All right. And when she was 13, she was attending this Industrial Workers of the World uh, meeting, and she got to experience, in July of 1917, the Bisbee deportation. And that goes back to the mining town, because the deportation was kind of a black mark on not only her memory, but the city itself. Now, this deportation was... There were a bunch of miners who wanted to unionize. They wanted better working conditions. They wanted uh, fairer wages. And what happened is, is the owner of the mines and some of the miners that weren't on board with that took these 1,200 striking miners at gunpoint, threw them in railroad carts, and dumped them off in the desert in New Mexico. You know, this is one of those moments where uh, it will severely impact you as a, as a child. I mean, she was a 13-year-old child. Yeah, it's an amazing story. You think about the, the history of the country 
And of course, some of the things that happened that influenced, you know, certain parts of the country that, that was a massive, massive part of that part of the country and that small city that influenced those people for the rest of their life, for generations to come, really. And it always influenced Hazel, too. And, but I, I do want to do this. I want to fast forward a few years, and I want to go to 1928, where Hazel gets married, and, and she goes from Hazel Gilman to Hazel George. And she actually has a, a daughter. And by 1930, though, Hazel is living in Los Angeles. She is uh, attending school and graduates from a nursing college there in L.A., and I want to take you 11 years further. Now she's graduated from nursing college. She has her child. And she is standing out front of the gates of the Walt Disney Company, surrounded not by smiling faces, but surrounded by people with picket signs. Because this is the year that absolutely broke Walt Disney's heart. It was the strike of 1941 at the Disney Studios. And this was a time that really was tough on Walt. Walt didn't understand why people didn't love him. You know, Walt had always been cherished and loved. He didn't understand why these people he had hired, given jobs, given prosperity to, were outside picketing, were outside throwing things, were chanting things at him. Uh, he, he just couldn't wrap his head around it. And Hazel George comes to him in his one of his biggest times of need, and she would she would prove to be one of the most influential people in Walt Disney's life and up until his death. An absolutely amazing woman. With her not only being the Disney Studio nurse, she was Walt's personal nurse. And the reason he had a personal nurse is Walt had an aggravating neck injury from a polo accident in 1938. Now, most of the afternoons, uh, she would come visit the side room of his office and treat his chronic sinus problems. And what Walt called this room the laughing place. And he would actually sip scotch while basically unloading on her like she was a shrink. No, you hit the nail on the head. She was a she was a psychiatrist. She she didn't know it at the time. She didn't understand how much influence she had on Walt's mental well-being, but she did. Walt was surrounded by I mean think think about this. Think about when you're going to your job. Think about the stress you have when you're at your job. Now think about the stress that Walt Disney had every day at his job because Walt was famously not a guy who sat in his office. Walt wasn't a guy that said, hey, bring me that report and let me know how everyone's doing. No, Walt went out, he got out, he was hands-on, he wanted to see firsthand how everyone was doing. He wanted to say, hey, how's your day going? What are you working on? Let me see what you got. Let me do this. He, he literally had a hand in every single thing that was going on on the studio lot. So when it came time for him to relax, you know, he didn't have anyone really that he could bounce ideas off of and that he could really just vent to. We all need that time just to vent sometimes. He didn't have that person until he had Hazel. Hazel was a confidant for Walt. He trusted her more than he trusted anyone else. And I'm saying this now, anyone else, any other woman outside the Disney company, or wait, inside, any other woman besides Lillian, you know, within the Disney company and outside the Disney company. He would tell her everything. He would even tell her intimate details, you know, about his relationship with his daughters, the kind of stuff they were into. You know, if they something happened that they got into that was bad and he didn't like it, he would tell her details about Lillian, about maybe fights they had, things they didn't agree on, things like that. And he would also give her a peek inside his personal issues and his personal problems, which led to an incredible hobby that changed Walt Disney 
Disneyland and Disney World for forever. Now, Walt was very stressed out that he could never play polo again. The man loved polo, and he felt almost small, belittled. He belittled himself because he was unable to do this. And she actually pushed him into another hobby, and that hobby was trains. Hazel comes to Walt, and Hazel says, Listen, I think you need some time away. And there was one thing that Walt was interested in, but he had never really looked more into detail. And, of course, he is in the process of imagining a park. Uh, you know, Disneyland is what it would, would be known. And, and Hazel always said, called it the Mickey Mouse Park. Yeah, the Mickey Mouse Park across the street from the Disney studio. But Hazel comes to Walt, and Hazel says, I think you should take some time for yourself and go do something you love and take some of the stress away from you. And so Hazel says, go to the Chicago Railroad Fair. And uh, Ward Kimball was, uh, was working, and Walt goes and says, hey, Ward, uh, you want to go with me to the Chicago Railroad Fair? And, and sure enough, Ward says, yeah, definitely. And so this is where Walt finds his love for trains. Absolutely loves trains. But not only that, while uh, Walt is building Disneyland and, and thinking about Disneyland and getting this idea going and, and bringing these ideas to the table, the one thing they need is money. They need money to build Disneyland. And who is it that comes up with an idea to start bringing some money? It's Hazel. Hazel leads the charge and creates the Disneyland Boosters and Backers Club. And she raises contributions from studio employees. And she's actually the one, Jason, who convinces Roy Disney to support Walt's dream of Disneyland. So without Hazel, we don't have Disneyland. If without Disneyland, we don't have Disney World. I mean, you're talking about... This is a woman who had his confidence and pushed him to do things that no one else could probably convince him to do. Yeah, absolutely. When when we start talking about Roy Disney, you know, we we know that he had a pretty tight grip on the purse for Disney Corps, you know, because he knew Walt liked to spend money and he was the balance. But when he saw that the employees believed enough into the idea of of going forward with this project, he decided to fund it himself, you know, support the project himself. And I thought that was an incredible move by everybody. You know what I think is really cool about this this woman is she believed in his dreams, but she also wasn't afraid to speak her mind either. You know, there's a great uh, story. And Hazel, here's, Hazel has given a few interviews but none of them have been oral interviews that have been published uh, as far as video-based things like that, and I would love to see those. <laughs> she said one time, she said Walt looked at her, and uh, you know Hazel had such a sharp wit, and she was just so quick, and Walt looked at her and said, after I died, hates look down at this studio and find everything in a mess, and Walt was groaning and just mad and kind of had a rough day and all that as he's getting his nightly massage, and uh, <laughs> Hazel really quickly, right back at him, goes, what makes you think you won't be using a periscope instead of looking down? I mean, just a quick, it just puts Walt right back, you know, and Walt just kind of mutters under his breath, you know, and uh, just an amazing, amazing woman. And uh, there was another time uh, that Walt told her, you know what my next project's going to be? An audio animatronic nurse, just to, just to get rid of her. So, you know, they kind of had that loving, almost like a brother-sister relationship where they could really just beat on each other and, and kind of give each other a hard time, but they knew it was out of love, and they knew that they could kind of, you know, get rid of their daily frustrations with each other, you know, and I, I really, this relationship, I think, freed Walt Disney's mind daily to dream and to 
aspire to be more and to build. You know, I think without this, he would have been, he would have had a hard time clearing his mind each day. And Hazel was just an amazing, amazing woman. But, you know, we talk about her being the nurse, but there's one thing about Hazel that most people don't know. She was a lyricist, you know, and we talk about Walt being able to clear his mind. I almost thought that planted seeds for her to write songs. Yeah, he, you know, he really inspired her and he said, I'm behind you. Do this. I know it's a passion of yours. Uh, get out there, write, and, and, and really pursue your dreams. I mean, to co-write over 90 songs for Disney, not, not, not five, not 10, but 90 songs. That's incredible. You know, it's amazing. The Talent Roundup, the Mickey Mouse Club newsreel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Aunt Polly's Fence. I mean, the list goes on and on. It is incredible. How about Old Yeller? Yeah. Old Yeller, Westward Ho, the Wagons, Tonka, the, uh, the Light in the Forest Perry. Uh, there's so many, so many amazing. Zorro, she, she wrote for Zorro. Uh, just a ton of great, great things that, you know, most people don't know she did. And here's why they don't know. She wrote under a pseudonym of Gil George. So whenever you see the credit, you don't see Hazel George. You see Gil George. And so most people did not know that this was Hazel working on all these, uh, all, you know, all these movies and all these shows and writing all these lyrics for these fantastic songs that she wrote with both George Burns, Jimmy Dodd. I mean, just some great names from Disney history. Paul, composers Paul Smith, uh, just some amazing people she's worked with. And you have to say that her her contribution to not only Walt Disney personally but her contribution to the Disney company with the music that she she gave to the company through both the screen and the parks and and everywhere else mm-hmm. she is long overdue Hazel George is long overdue for induction as a Disney legend even though she probably wrote these songs on assignment you know there's speculation that she was in on the story meetings, you know, she sat there in, in these brainstorming sessions and, and even up to initiating some of the songs and skits, you know, all by herself to get full credit for these. So I really think it's important that she does get recognized and the credit that she deserves. Yeah, you know, Hazel said one time, she said, I felt that Walt's greatest talent was recognizing the potential in others. He really sought to bring out the best in people, whether they were artists story people or accountants, he personally went through every day's work at the studio. He didn't just ask someone how things were going. He found out himself. He was a very hard worker and a wonderful man. He encouraged me to get into writing lyrics for music at the studio as he knew that I wasn't really using my college degree in literature as a nurse. So I did, and he loved my writing. Walt was a special man. Even today, I have a lot to thank him for. Those are such warm words as from a direct quote. You, you can't get any warmer of words than those. Well, and I think that Walt would say those same exact words in return about Hazel. I think she was just such an important woman in, 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 in his life, you know. And the one thing that people don't realize is this, that there were a few people that said that Walt Disney was, didn't interact well with women, which was just a flat-out lie. I mean, just a lie. It was not true. Walt did interact well with women. Walt interacted well with strong women. You know, if there's one thing that all these women have in common that we have talked about so far was the fact that they are all strong women. Walt not only interacted well with strong women, but I think he preferred the company of strong women to men. I think that he felt that when he was surrounded by women, 
He knew that he was having an honest conversation and he was able to be himself. Uh, you know, the one thing, another thing that Hazel said about this is one thing I learned from my longtime friendship with Walt was that in most cases he was strongly motivated by love. He loved his family very much and would tell me about his daughter's exploits, about his wife Lily. He really loved them dearly and enjoyed telling me all the wonderful stories of what they were doing. He also loved kids in general and animals, especially his own little dog. He would often tell me stories about that wonderful little poodle. He never got tired of talking about animals. I think Walt had the ability to be himself around these strong women. He could tell these stories and he could open up. And I think Hazel George is an absolute Disney legend. And I hope that she is inducted very soon. If anything, she's accredited to the biggest conspiracy to come out of Walt Disney, and that's cryonics. And she was the one mm-hmm. who introduced yeah. cryonics to him, you know, and, and arousing his interest on the subject. You know, and even today, people do believe that Walt Disney is cryogenically frozen somewhere on Disney property. Although I can burst your bubble and tell you, he is not. He is, uh, he, Walt Disney was cremated and buried there in Los Angeles. So, yeah, and the one thing I want to concentrate when we talk about Hazel's death is this. I don't want Hazel to be forgotten within the Disney company. And I, I really do hope that one day I can, I can look on my phone, I can, I can get a magazine, D23 magazine, I can get something that says these words, Hazel George, Disney legend. Yes. I, think the, I think Hazel deserves to be uh, inducted as a Disney legend. I think her impact on Walt, the Walt Disney Company, deserves that award, deserves that that those famous uh, words right next to her name, Hazel George, Disney legend. She absolutely deserves to be memorialized like that for as long as Disney Corporation stands and beyond. It's been an absolute pleasure this week to spend some time shining the spotlight on Hazel George and the contribution she had to Walt Disney and the Disney Company. But we don't just want to look into the past. We also want to look into the present and the future. And this week, we shine a spotlight on Marnine Burnus. And Marnine, she b- began her Disney career as an intern, and uh, she worked for the construction management team for Disney's Animal Kingdom, a park we absolutely love, love Animal Kingdom. Um, and she was on the planning production for that. Uh, but most recently, she's overseen the developments of Disney's California Adventure Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, which I cannot wait to go ride here in a few months. Uh, just a fantastic attraction that brings the Marvel Universe into the Disney parks. Uh, But she's also worked in a lot of other mini leadership roles throughout the Disney parks and resorts. She was also a developmental manager for the Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel, a project manager for Soarin' Over California at the Walt Walt Disney World Resort, and also, Jason, something that we use all the time. She was a key figure in my Magic Plus experience, the app, uh, using that app to make those fast passes you know, do things around the parks. What a great, great contribution. And currently, she is the leading project developer uh, in Asia at Hong Kong Disneyland and at the Shanghai Disney Resort. So, Marnie, I am more than happy and so honored to shine the spotlight and say thank you for your contribution to the Disney Company. Thank you for what you bring to the Disney parks. We appreciate you, and you are a part of the Disney 8 this week. How incredible of a woman. Could you imagine just sitting down with her for 45 minutes over lunch and just picking her brain? I mean, the, oh, it'd be amazing. it would be amazing oh, to just, just to, to, to even, not even tell us what, what she's got planned for Disney or her contributions, but for her to go 
above and beyond and and dream big over that lunch and go, this is what I'd really like to see if money was that an option. Be the, that'd be the coolest I, part. I would love that. So lunch is on yep. me. <laughs> you just tell me when and where. Absolutely amazing. What, what an incredible, incredible woman yep. in the Disney company. Well, Jason, another episode. I've enjoyed it. Like I said, fourth week, we're a month into the show. It's uh, it's it's more than I think either of us expected it would be. I, It's been more work than I expected, mm-hmm. but it's been a lot more fun than I expected. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending this time with me each week as we really dive in-depth on the history of some of these fantastic Disney women. And I want to say thank you, buddy, for that. I have enjoyed co-piloting this ship with you. It has been a blast. Thank you for inviting me. You're the Chewy to my Han. <laughs> You're the bubblegum to my rapper. I, don't, I, don't, I got nothing. I got nothing other than thank you for inviting me again. Thanks, buddy. I had a lot of time, and we will be back next week for another episode of the Disney 8. Have a good week, guys. Good night. Good night.